Well, good morning, everybody. And uh, I'll add my welcome to Richard's. Good to see you. It's good to be together to worship and now to hear God speak to us uh, through his word, uh, the Bible. Let's just ask for his help as we turn now to his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful privilege that uh, you have made yourself known to us in the person of the Lord Jesus, that you revealed yourself to us through your Holy Spirit in the words of Scripture. And we pray, please, that you would help us now. Give us ears to listen. Give, give us eyes that can see, that hearts that are willing to understand and accept what you say. And we pray that you would bless us uh, through your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, well, I don't know about you, but I, I love uh, learning about great people. Uh, maybe you're uh, the same. Uh, the sporting greats, Serena Williams, Tiger Woods, uh, the political greats, Nelson Mandela, George Washington, scientists, Newton and Einstein, those in the art, Shakespeare and Picasso. Uh, we often uh, love learning about great people um, like this, people who are great in their fields. Um, and I guess we love deconstructing their lives, kind of examining their motives and what got them up in the morning, and the way that they worked, uh, and their values, their habits, what they achieved, what made them great. Maybe even as you um, think ahead to Christmas already, you're thinking which uh, biography you might like to get in your Christmas stocking. Uh, is there a great person you would want to read about uh, over the Christmas holidays? Well, this morning, we're going to be looking at John the Baptist, who, according to Jesus, is the greatest ever. Uh, Jesus said, I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John, John the Baptist. What an endorsement. And from Jesus himself, no one greater than John the Baptist. So this morning, we're going to look at John. We're going to learn from him. We're going to consider what motivated him, uh, his values, what he did, and what made him great. Uh, these verses in, in John 1, they're all about John's witness and testimony. Uh, remember how in 1 verse 7, we were told how John uh, was sent as a witness concerning the light. Well, in these verses, his witness is fleshed out for us. You see it at the beginning of our passage with the headline in verse 19, now, this was John's testimony. You see it right at the end of our passage in verse 34, when John the Baptist says, I have seen and I testify. You see, in John's gospel, uh, we, we, the readers, are like part of a jury. We're presented with evidence and testimony about Jesus, and we're called on to give a verdict. So, if you like, come into the courtroom uh, take your seat among the jury and watch as this witness gets sworn in and as he takes his place in the witness box and listen to his testimony. We're going to watch his witness and take in his testimony. And we're going to watch his witness. That is, we're going to learn from and watch John as a witness, learning from him, uh, learning from him how to point well to Jesus. Uh, he is a model witness in that sense. 
We're going to watch his witness. We're also going to take in his testimony. That is, we're going to listen to what he has to say to us about the Lord Jesus. Not just learning from the way that he points to Jesus, but also spending time looking at the one he points to. We're going to watch his witness and take in his testimony. So first off, let's uh, watch his witness. Let's examine his example to us as a witness to the Lord Jesus. Uh, court proceedings uh, begin with some insistent questions from the religious leaders, looking here at verses 21 to 28. Who are you? They ask him again and again and again and again. First century Palestine was brimming with expectations of a coming Messiah. And John the Baptist, given his popularity and his spiritual significance, was someone of interest to them. They were very, very keen to find out who he was. Who are you? Who are you? I mean, just think for a moment about how John could have answered. Uh, John could have said, uh, well, listen, I am, I am John the Baptist. I'm a prophet. I've been sent by God. I was prophesied about in Scripture because I have a, a really significant role in God's salvation plan. He could have said all of that, which would have been absolutely honest. But you let, just listen to what John does say. Because in his answers, he consistently points away from himself and towards the Lord Jesus. Who are you? They ask him. His first answer, I am not the Messiah. They ask him whether he fulfills other prophecies. Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? No, no. In other words, he says, the most important thing that you need to know about me is that I am not the Messiah. I am not the promised prophet. That is not me. But they want that is not me. But they want more from him more than just who he isn't. And so they keep going. Verse 22, who are you? Again, give us an answer. Don't just tell us who you're not. Tell us who you are. How does he answer this time? Well, he speaks about who he is, yes, but only in relation to Jesus. He says, I am a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. He says, I'm just, I'm just an ordinary, unnamed, faceless voice that Isaiah spoke about who would announce the extraordinary news that God is coming. That's who, that's who I am. They probe him further. Um, tell us then about what you're doing. So verse 25, they ask him, why then do you baptize if you're not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And again, he points away from himself and to the Lord Jesus. He speaks just four words about himself in verse 26. I baptize with water. He says, yes, yes, you're right. That's what I do. I baptize with water. Before then contrasting himself to the coming Lord Jesus. But among you, stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Four words about himself, 
and then he launches in to speak about the Lord Jesus. To take, someone off, to take off someone's sandals and to wash their feet, that was a job reserved for the lowest of the slaves, for Gentile slaves, for the lowest of the low in society. But note what John says here. John doesn't say, I'm not prepared to untie his sandals. That would be beneath me. After all, I'm not too different to this coming one. He says, I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. A job like that, that will be a privilege and honor far above my pay grade. Such is his understanding of the supreme worth of the Lord Jesus. So they ask him, John, who are you? He says, yes, okay, I, I have a role to play. You're right. But I'm not the Messiah. No, 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 no. Next to him, uh, I'm a nobody. You see, John is just a, a model witness, a brilliant example of what it looks like to point to Jesus. Now, we've got to be clear. John had a unique role a role that none of us have been given. His role was to uh, sent to baptize, um, to publicly identify and reveal the Messiah to Israel. Uh, when I was a student, a local teenager decided that they would pick up a stone and hurl it through our great big front window and smash the window. So we called the police. Um, when the police came around, before we knew it, I was in the back of this police van um, looking through this kind of one-way uh, glass, being driven around the neighborhood, being asked questions by the police officer. Was it, was it that guy? No. Was it, was, it, was it that guy? No. It was, it was that guy. It was, are you sure? Y yes, it was that guy called to identify a suspect. That's a little bit like John's role. In verse 31, he says, the reason I came baptizing with water was that he, the Messiah, might be revealed to Israel. I've come to identify the Messiah. He'd been told specifically by God, verse 33, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And so day after day, John would baptize person after person after person perhaps wondering to himself, is this the guy? No. Is this the guy? No. Until a day he, he baptizes Jesus, and as he does, he sees the Spirit come down from heaven, from heaven and remain on him. This is the guy. That's him. Are you sure, John? Yes. And so he testifies clearly, this is God's chosen one. That is John's role, to identify and to reveal the Messiah to Israel. As far as I'm aware, none of us have that role. Uh, John was able to say, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven. I have seen and I testify. And uh, that is not our role. We have not seen. Uh, we weren't there we haven't seen with our eyes. We haven't been called in that way to identify the Messiah. Uh, nevertheless, we are called to point others to Jesus. And in that role, 
John is just a wonderful example to us. Let's just have a, a look at some particular aspects of his example. Let me just think of two ways in particular. Um, firstly, I think he's an example to us of great self-awareness. In other words, he sees very clearly who he is and who he isn't. Do we share John's self-awareness when he says, I'm not the Messiah, that's not me, no. I doubt very much that any of us ever have verbally claimed to be the Messiah. That's for crazy cult leaders. But just because we may may never have said that, it doesn't mean that at times you don't have a Messiah complex. Think, for example, about family life. Think about how easy it is to slip into thinking, uh, if if my family are going to get saved... I need to live a perfect life. Of course, we're called to be examples. We're called to live out the gospel. But the salvation of people that we know depends not on us, but on Christ's perfect life. I am not the Messiah. You are not the Messiah. We are not the Messiah figures in our families. Or think of Uh, for those of us with teaching roles here at church or elsewhere, it can be very, very easy to slip into thinking that the the spiritual health of those we teach and guide depends entirely on us. Or if I I were to stop teaching them, or if I were to step down, or if I were to get sick, then these folk just wouldn't survive spiritually, we might think to ourselves. Of course, God uses us. God loves to work through people. But people's spiritual health depends ultimately on Christ, on his teaching, on his service of us, not ours. I am not the Messiah. We are not the Messiah. You are not the Messiah. That is not us. We are not indispensable. God does not need us, even if he may may choose to work through us. We are not the Messiah. John was far more integral to God's salvation plan for the world. And yet he understood very, very clearly that he was not the Messiah. Do we? So he's an example to us of self-awareness, important self-awareness. He's also an example to us of pointing to the Lord Jesus. And I guess the question for us here is, uh, do we share John's appreciation of just how great Jesus is? Do we share John's overriding desire to speak not about himself, but of him? I baptize with water four words, but let me tell you about the one, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. That is John's, uh, that's what gets John going. Of course, it's not wrong to speak about ourselves. It can be good to share. Openness can be a virtue. To be vulnerable about our joys and our struggles can be a good thing, and church family is an important context uh, for that. And yet at the same time, what we learn from John here is that our overriding desire should be to speak not about ourselves, but about him. I don't know if any of you have come across a man called Jeremy Marshall. Um, 
he's done a lot of, he's spoken at a lot of evangelistic events recently, or in the last few years, over in England. Um, he, a uh, Christian man uh, for, for many, many years, um, he was CEO of the UK's oldest private bank before in the last, I think, five years being diagnosed with terminal cancer. He's written a few books which are very, very helpful. Anyway, in March, he, he spoke at an event at my old church um, telling his story uh, about dealing with cancer. And uh, it was very, very striking. He was, he was willing uh, to, to share his story and to tell people about himself and his battle with cancer and even what it feels like to be close to death. And he was aware that people were coming to hear those aspects about his story. And, but really, it was very clear, he just wanted to speak about Jesus. Um, he said to a few of us, um, private, just, just, just a few of us, something along the lines of, you know, I don't really want the attention. I don't really um, want to, to, to tell a group of people I, I don't know um, about my suffering four or five times a month, but it means I get to speak about Jesus. And so he kept on the road, keeping going, uh, delighted to, to accept invitations to speak because he gets to point people to Jesus. How very John the Baptist, how very John the Baptist, an overriding desire to speak not of himself, but of the Lord Jesus. Well, what about us? Uh, when do we find ourselves coming most alive in conversation? Uh, when talking about ourselves or when talking about the Lord Jesus and pointing others to him? When we come away from conversations where we haven't had much opportunity to speak, do we come away uh, frustrated that we didn't get to speak of Jesus or frustrated that we didn't really get to speak about ourselves? Let's be those who watch John's witness, who learn from him his example of self-awareness, I am not the Messiah, his desire to point people to Jesus. I baptize with water, but let me tell you about the one whose sandals are not worthy to untie. So let's watch John's witness. But then secondly, and more briefly, let's take in his testimony. Let's listen to what John has to say to us about the Lord Jesus. Not just learning from the way that he points, but looking at the one he points to. So what is John's testimony about Jesus? What does he tell us about him? Well, I think he tells us that Jesus is the complete rescuer. At firstly, in verse 29, we read the, the narrative. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What's John saying here about Jesus? Well, to find out, we need to go back hundreds, hundreds of years to Egypt where God's people were slaves and to the night of the 10th plague, uh, the plague of the firstborn son, uh, you may remember it from the book of Exodus. Uh, that night in Egypt, there was awful screaming as every Egyptian firstborn son lay dead in their beds. But in Goshen, where the Israelites lived, there was perfect silence as all of the Israelite, Israelite firstborn sons 
uh, lay fast asleep in their beds. Why the difference? Well, not because God's enemies were bad whilst God's people were good. If you were to read Exodus, you would not get the impression that God's people were good. Now, the reason for the difference, the reason there was silence in Goshen where the Israelites, where God's people were dwelling, while screaming in Egypt, the reason that Israelite firstborn sons lay fast asleep and not dead was because of the substitute was because of the Passover lamb, the lamb which was killed, whose blood was daubed on the door frames of their dwellings, blood which functioned as a sign to the Lord, saying, substitute killed here instead. That was the Passover lamb that bore the wrath of God instead of the people. And here, John says of Jesus, look, the Lamb of God. In other words, he says, look, a new Passover Lamb. Look, the one to whom the, the Passover Lamb pointed forward to, who will be killed, whose blood will be shed as a substitute to bear the wrath of God instead of us. Here is the one, John says, who will be slaughtered for the sins of the world so that anyone who trusts in him can dwell in safety from God's coming judgment. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Secondly, John testifies that Jesus is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Verses 33 and 34, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I've seen and I testify this is God's chosen one. Well, what's, J what's John saying here about Jesus? Well, for that, we need to go back hundreds of years to the book of Isaiah, to Isaiah 42, where God, speaking into the future, says, here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. And you hear how Jesus fulfills that prophecy as the Spirit comes down from heaven and remains on him at his baptism, as God puts his Spirit on him, chosen by God. And crucially for us, with Jesus having received the Spirit, he is the one who can baptize with the Spirit. That is, he is the one who can pour out the Holy Spirit into our lives and put his spirit in us, replacing our hearts of stone with hearts of flesh. Not just that we might be safe from God's coming judgment, but also that we might be willing and empowered to live and follow his ways. You see, John, in essence, John says of Jesus, this guy is the complete rescuer. He can transform your eternity, and he can transform your life now. He's both the Lamb of God who shields us from God's coming judgment, and he is the one sent to baptize with the Holy Spirit, whose gift of the Holy Spirit enables us to live new lives now and be transformed. He is a complete rescuer. So just two thoughts as, as we close. Yeah, firstly, I guess this encourages us to trust in him. Maybe you haven't yet uh, trusted in the Lord Jesus, this really encourages us 
to do so? Will you avail yourself of his complete rescue? Will you daub uh, the blood of the lamb on the door frames of your heart that you might be safe from God's coming judgment? Will you rely on his death for the forgiveness of your sins? Will you see him as the one who can transform your life? Will you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit which he offers? You know, sin can really make a, a mess of things, it can mess of our lives, it can ruin our relationships and our work, ourselves. It can lead us into emptiness and darkness and futility. What we see here is that Jesus can transform our lives even now by the power of the Spirit, which he gladly gives to us when we trust in him. Will we trust in him? Maybe that's a word uh, for you. Uh, not yet having trusted him, think, think on that. Trust in the Lord Jesus, the Lamb of God, the one who can baptize with the Spirit. And then just finally, for those of us who do trust in him, I guess the question is, will we allow ourselves to be pointed to and directed to the Lord Jesus? Will we look at him and stare at him and gaze at him and let our vision be taken up by him? the Lamb of God, the one who baptized, baptizes with the Spirit. Jesus said of John, there's no one greater. John says of Jesus, look, look, the Lamb of God. Let's be those whose vision is centered on him, our complete rescuer.